Listen up, MotoCast listeners. GoDaddy hosting plans are more powerful than ever. Best of all, plans start at just $3.95 a month. And no matter what plan you choose, your site receives 24-7 maintenance and protection in the GoDaddy.com world-class data center. Plus, as a listener of MuggleCast, enter code RON, that's R-O-N, when you check out and get your .com domain name for just $6.95 a year. Some restrictions always apply, but check that site out for the details. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy. This is, this is Professor McGonagall welcoming you to all to MuggleCast, hoping you enjoyed. Dobby, Dobby, come here. Yeah, Dobby. Yes, well, I'd just like to say how very pleased I am to introduce MuggleCast to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Because Warner Brothers finally, finally, finally released Half-Blood Prince, this is MuggleCast episode 177 for July 30th, 2009. Welcome back to MuggleCast, everybody. We're here for our 177th episode. That's it's kind of lucky, right? Two sevens? Wow. That's like double we'll magical. Never, we'll never reach 777, so... Oh, <laughs> we'll you never, you never know. I don't know. Maybe for fun we can jump 600 episodes. We'll be 40, <laughs> but we could do it. Uh, <laughs> Welcome to MuggleCast. Uh, yeah. W- w- what episode yeah. is this? MuggleCast, the well, nursing it- home edition. <laughs> it's been a while since we've had a recorded uh, homegrown episode, but we're so happy to be back. And we got Laura here, Micah, Matt, and Mikey, along with me. Hi, guys. Hey, Andrew. Hi, Andrew. Yay, Yay podcasting. And this is our first um, recorded regular episode since <laughs> since the movie release. Thank you for bearing with us as... Uh, <laughs> You waited two weeks for us to get this one out. Um, but we have a lot to discuss, of course, with the movie. We still haven't heard uh, Matt and Laura, or Matt and Micah's thoughts, and, and Mikey's thoughts, too. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I get confused. You three are like Matt, Micah, and Mikey. It's just, I, know, I don't know. It's amazing. Very well, amazing. But you know what, Matt, though? Me and what? Micah have M-I, you're M-A. <laughs> Oh, you're the awesome. so odd one. Out of he the wins. Shoot, you're out of our club. But alphabetically, you're out of our club, I'm Matt. in front of you two. So doesn't that make me Ooh. better? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh. I agree. Uh, yeah, no, I'm the odd man out. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you want to be as cool as us? Yeah. I w- can we just call me Mitt? Mitt all right, Mitty? all right, girls. You're you're both losers because your name starts with an M, <laughs> and I am the winner with A. <laughs> So, let's move on. Uh, let's get into the show. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Laura Thompson. I'm Micah Tannenbaum. I'm Matt Britton. And I'm Mikey B.
Alright, Michael, we know the big news, of course, is the release of Half-Blood Prince, but has there been any other news to discuss besides that? before we spend the entire episode on that. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously news going on right now because the movie was just released uh, a couple weeks ago, but uh, let's talk, I guess, a little bit about the numbers that are out there. And uh, according to the most recent numbers that I was able to find, it says that Half-Blood Prince has now made $222 million uh, here in the United States, which is $14 million ahead of where Order of the Phoenix was 12 days uh, after its release. And uh, it's made an additional $405 million internationally, bringing the worldwide total to $627 million. Wow. Pretty impressive. How does that compare to uh, Order of the Phoenix? That I don't know, as far as uh, total is concerned. Mm. Give me a second. I'll pull it up. There's a website that I love called boxofficemojo.com. That's a, that's a great site. I love site. Box Office Mojo. It, it's, it's interesting. I mean, a lot of people were thinking, well, is Half-Blood Prince going to make more money because of the delay? You know, there's more hype. There's more buildup. But it doesn't seem like that happened. But could it be because of um, IMAX being delayed? And it's just coming out today, the day we're recording this Wednesday. Mm-hmm. But do you think that's going to really spike sales? I don't, I don't know. think so. Really, Laura? I, th- I know I'm going back again, like, two weeks later. Yeah, I mean, I Me definitely too. will, too. Like, normally I would see it like a bunch. But I'm, I guess I'm just thinking about the earlier films where there wasn't IMAX and the sales were really good. I mean, obviously the sales have improved each time. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I just, yeah. like, most people don't... Most people don't seem very impressed with going to, like, pay $12 to see a movie that has, like, 20 minutes of IMAX footage in it, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and well also- that's almost what a regular ticket costs, too. So, I mean, what's the difference? Well, is, no, I think well it's, depending I think on a, where you live. <laughs> yeah, it's a little yeah, bit more. Right. But what are the numbers, Mikey? Uh, well, uh, opening weekend in general uh, for Half-Blood Prince was 77835 or seventy-seven million eight hundred and thirty-five thousand seven hundred and twenty-seven uh, dollars. Opening weekend for Order of the Phoenix was seventy-seven million one hundred eight thousand four hundred and fourteen. And I did Whoa. a little calculator. It's only seven hundred and twenty-seven thousand three hundred and thirteen dollars more than wow. Half Blood Prince made opening weekend. Now again, that's just opening weekend, you know, stats. That's um, surprising. So I guess what that says is really the fandom hasn't changed a bit. Order of the Phoenix also opened up in 4,285 theaters, whereas Half-Blood Prince actually opened up in more with 4,325 theaters. So uh, it so does have more Prince theaters, was... so that makes sense. But again, you'd be thinking that they would make more money with that you know, right. couple hundred theaters or a hundred theaters more. So what it sort of says is it, the film sort of still has the same amount of fans. It hasn't grown. It hasn't shrunk. So, well, even with, I mean, the big thing with Order of the Phoenix was there was that book right uh, coming out right after. Right, yeah, so. that was a big that was a big summer for Harry Potter. But twelve yeah. days into it, though, they're saying that Half Blood Prince has pulled out in front by fourteen million. So it's a little bit different um, in terms of what you know. Opening weekend is what Mikey just said, but now that yeah. more updated statistics are saying that it's it's pulled out. A little bit further. Yeah, in, at the two week out, it's definitely further ahead because if you look at the domestic total, like we're almost to the complete domestic total in the U.S. of what Order of the Phoenix yeah. made, and we're only two weeks in. With today being the release of the IMAX, which 
I can't imagine you being a fan and not wanting to go see IMAX just because it's a completely different experience. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I didn't. It. I, it's just awesome. I love IMAX. I didn't see IMAX with Order of the Phoenix, but it was sort of because I wasn't too happy with the film. But this film, I love. But let me ask you guys about G-Force. It, th- this stupid hamster movie, it beat <laughs> Half-Blood Prince this second weekend. This past weekend, G-Force um, pulled in like a few million more than, than Half-Blood Prince. And that blew me away. Hmm. Like, how could Half-Blood Prince not uh, outperform better than stupid spy hamsters its second week? <laughs> In, in in theaters. You know, that actually doesn't surprise me. Simply because, like, if you look at the drop-off, all right, we we just quoted, you know, opening weekend was $77, you know, million, right? The drop-off was drastic, you know, the second weekend. It was like, what was it, 50? I'm trying to look, find the numbers real quick for the second weekend, what, you know, half a Prince pulled no, I think it was like around 30. Yeah. Yeah, it was like, th- it's a drastic yeah. drop-off. Now, you got to remember that the core fans are a lot, well, not core fans, but a big chunk of Half-Blood Prince's fans are in the same, you know, viewing audience as what G-Force is. Now, we're a little what? bit older, so, well, think about it. Like, all the moms and their little kids want to go see Harry Potter. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. we're a little bit older. And, and yes, we're older, and G-Force is not as appealing to us. But a good chunk of the people that went and saw Harry Potter the first weekend, now went to go see a movie again, they're not going to see Harry Potter again. They're going to go see G-Force. So G-Force definitely had True. a lot of people coming to it. And of course, True. I don't know about your theater, but I know G-Force was a preview in my theater saying opening next weekend. So again, you know, you saw Harry yeah. Potter the weekend before, and now you know these cool hamsters are coming out next weekend, and you want to have your mom. <laughs> They're take not you. cool. They are not cool. I don't know what it says about us though, because it, while G Force took the the box office here over in England, Half Blood Prince stayed up at the top. So yeah, I guess okay, the Americans we'll are so inundated with crap. Yeah, see, this that is the country. Go for Wasn't that Beverly Hills Chihuahua movie like number yes. one <laughs> yeah. for some ridiculous amount of time? <laughs> well, they picked a weekend uh, that didn't have much competition. I'm, I, I I hope Harry Potter would have beaten Beverly Hills Chihuahua. <laughs> well, so you never know. It just got beaten by Spy Hamster. Oh, I know. I hear you. So, well, Flo Rida was in, this, in the movie, too. He was singing. <laughs> oh. That, they, th- that, well, there that totally we go. Contributed that that to answers it. it. Well, let, let's move on from that. We get it. Half-Foot Prince was a great success. Uh, what else is going on, Micah? Well, uh, kind of along the lines of Half-Blood Prince, there was an article done by the New York Times talking about drinking in the movie and, and its impact or potential impact, I guess, that it could have on children that are underage that are going to see it. And there are a couple of scenes that were mentioned, um, and, and I think the first one was actually put in by the director. I don't remember in the book itself Hermione being tipsy after their trip to Hogsmeade. Um <sighs> But uh, there was Hagrid, obviously. He passed out in the hut when uh, Harry and Slughorn are uh, visiting with him after Aragog's death. And uh, and then also the poison mead that, that Ron drinks. So yeah. uh, a couple instances of alcohol in the movie. But to me, when I was watching the movie, that really didn't strike me at all. Uh, I didn't really think much about it. But I guess mothers who are taking their children have a little bit different opinion. And there were some moms quoted in this article, right? Yeah. Um, one mother, Liz Pearl, who's a, who's a mom of two teenage boys, 
said that she was bothered by so many scenes showing alcohol as a coping mechanism. Oh my god. <laughs> Isn't, that what, Laura Mallory. Isn't break, that what alcohol yeah. is, though? <laughs> Laura, why does that send you off? Oh, hey, because people... I think, again, this is just an instance of somebody taking this issue and trying to put it up on a pedestal and making a big deal out of it because it's in something that's mainstream. They're just trying to get attention. Mm. It's the same case with Laura Mallory. What they're not considering is, of course, the story is based out of England. And unfortunately for us, we're the Cheers. only, we're Thank the, you. yeah, we're the only country on this planet that has such, uh, a taboo kind of outlook towards alcohol. Everybody else kind of just uh, use it as a casual thing. Like, let's go and have a drink. Point. No, 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 not us. We, we aren't fun. Although I gotta say, it was kind of surprising when you see Hermione looking a little drunk coming out of <laughs> coming out of the three broomsticks. I mean, that made me I laugh. I thought it was funny, but it didn't. I thought it was cute. It was funny, but surprising. But but what? what I Laura? said it didn't bother me. Like I. Oh okay. I don't know. I don't get these people. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I mean, but... let's not even focus on the violence of the film. Let's focus on the fact that you know there's there's a little bit of alcohol here and there. Uh, but there was another quote. Uh, that I think sums it up a lot better. And, and this woman said, I think the alcohol angle washed over me because of the magical context of the film. This isn't a real school. Real teachers are real students. So it's almost like the drinking isn't real. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder how many kids even know what mead is. That's true. That's true. And it's not like the stuff was that – it wasn't that obvious. Like when Hagrid falls backwards – and hits his head, he could just be tired and falling asleep. Right. And Hermione didn't come off too drunk, so it wasn't too over the top. I agree, Laura. They're trying to get attention. We weren't even sure if the post is on MuggleNet. I mean, if this was from, like, a tablet or something, we wouldn't have. But the fact that it was from the New York Times, and, you know, they're not perfect, but... I think it goes to show that they were having a slow news day. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I agree. What else is going on, Micah? Well, uh, a recent article by Baylor University asks if... uh, Harry Potter uh, may have a negative impact on newspapers and journalism. And one of the quotes from the article says, The books present an unnecessarily pessimistic view of journalism today. Uh, Since literature can play an important role in helping children learn and possibly empathize with situations experienced by characters, the potential for influence on journalism is strong. And I assume that it's referring to Rita Skeeter. um, Right, and also... Uh, yeah, it also talks about the stuff with the ministry. It says the analysis finds uh, the analysis, the study they did, finds an overwhelmingly negative rep- representation of journalism throughout the first six books, raising concerns that child readers will view journalism as corrupt, deceptive, and an unattractive career choice. So yeah, it does focus on Rita Skeeter. And I think a little bit of the ministry too, right. uh, controlling the Daily Prophet. You know, so. I, I, what do you guys think about this? I mean, this is from, this is a really interesting study, I thought, from Baylor University. Uh, Laura, do you have any opinions on this? Do you think it negatively affects journalism? No. I think journalism negatively, negatively affects journalism. <laughs> <laughs> but you could argue that if kids who aren't very aware of journalism look at this or read the books and. This is the same thing as before with the drinking. It really is. Right. And. It's, you know, they're taking one aspect and same thing with, you know, the Dumbledore, you know, being gay issue, you know, you can take any aspect of any book, not just Harry Potter and say, oh, it casts a bad light on whatever. Yeah. They're just doing it for Harry Potter because it's a really popular series. 
And it's yeah, popular st- right now because the movie just came out. I yeah. still did find it interesting. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, know, let me get Laura back I, in. I think, though, too, you have to remember that the story is coming from one individual's perspective. And, and a lot of times it's how that person is being perceived by the newspaper. And yeah. if you notice, there are a number of characters in the series that agree with what's being said in the newspaper uh, about what's going on and you know we've done shows in the past too where we've talked about media corruption government corruption which is stressed very very strongly even jk rowling has said so in these books i mean she's making a point um about how the media can act at times and and how the government can act at times and they're Mm -hmm. very strong suggestions Mm -hmm. just like any other um you know themes that are in the books all right well enough with the studies uh enlighten us with some other news please some some news that Laura won't get angry about. Okay, I can't promise she's not going to get angry about this. But, <laughs> um, one of the other stories, non Half Blood Prince related, um, the Ultimate Collector's Edition of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets are now available for pre-order on Amazon, and now the online store has revealed the Blu-ray and standard DVD covers. Yes. You asked the question, Andrew. Is this a little bit too early? I like, yeah, I this, I don't know. I mean, we know now, and David Heyman said at the premiere that they're going to be doing some Ultimate Collector's Edition once all the all eight films are out. But I, I, I just think it's a little early to be releasing Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets Ultimate Collector's Edition. I mean, yeah, it's been almost ten years, but... Like, can't you guys see them releasing, like, Super Mega Ultra, Super Plus, Plus, Plus <laughs> yeah, editions, yeah. like, why, another 10 years they, from now? Why would they call it the Ultimate Collection if they're not all out yet? Wouldn't the Ultimate I, signify that all of them have to be out together? Well, the Ultimate of each one of these films, yeah. like... This is the and, Ultimate, can't get any better, Collector's Edition DVD. Yeah, and you know they're going to re-release these. Oh, yeah. They're going to do, like, a 10th anniversary edition. I'm waiting for the 20th anniversary, you know, special edition version, just like Star Wars, where they're going to go in, add new songs, new dance things. It's really, it's going to be just like the Star Wars saga. <laughs> it's They're going to have all these different versions, and then they're going to release, you know, 15 years later, they're going to release the definitive, remastered, perfect edition and that's the one you're going to want to yeah. get but are you really yeah. going to wait 15 years for the whole thing to be done and everything to get it no you're going to buy it no. as you go and maybe you know I know I had all the Star Wars movies on VHS tapes and everything and finally when they came out on DVD I have three different DVD copies of it and same thing with Harry Potter I have two copies of a couple of my favorite ones on movie, um, DVD and I have a couple Blu-ray versions too so you're going to end mm-hmm. up buying multiple copies just like I have multiple copies of the books mm-hmm. so it it it's got to have a lot of stuff on it because it retails for fifty dollars, uh, and Amazon has it for sale at thirty-five. But fifty dollars—I mean, that yeah, that's not a standard Blu-ray uh, yeah. price. So I'm wondering what the hell is also going to be on. Well, this? do you think it might be like like what they're doing now with a DVD, Blu-ray, and a digital copy, plus like something else? Maybe. Yeah. What well, says right on the cover of year one, the year one box, it says includes creating the world. So maybe new interviews about creating Great Hall and all that? Who knows? If it's new interviews, that would make it worth it. Mm-hmm. But I know he said it didn't have anything to do with Haplo Prince, but could they be releasing these now because there's the hype surrounding the movie? Probably. I mean, these aren't even out yet, though. And they oh. don't have set dates. We just have covers. So... Who knows what's going on here? I do like the design of the covers too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do like how they're all like 
They have the big number the bl- year one, year two. Yeah, I like yeah. the color scheme where it's blue and then red. Yeah. I want to see what you know, the next one mm-hmm. has. And um, the disc, the Chamber of Secrets cover says includes creating the characters. So year one has creating the world. Year two has creating the characters. Year three will have creating the random stuff Alfonso comes up with, <laughs> possibly. Creating the stuff. Year four, year four will have creating the director we really didn't like. <laughs> why we chose him? <laughs> How exciting! I can't wait to see those. <laughs> okay, Michael. What 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 else? Out with it already. Come All on. right, Wizarding World of Harry Potter update. Uh, we got some news today from down in Orlando. A hmm. sleuth named Laura Thompson uh, over at the uh, oh, really? IOA Central message boards has unearthed a dozen recent trademark applications made by Warner Brothers Entertainment that appear to be for rides, shops, and restaurants that will be part of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter at Universal Orlando. And we got a bunch of those names, some of them not surprising, other than others a little bit interesting. Um do you want to go through those names? Hey, yeah, give, give us a preview. What, what, are, what are we going to be calling these things? The rides supposedly are Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey, uh, which... <laughs> sounds, that's like a a sounds like an Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's just a place... I have a feeling that one's just a placeholder. They couldn't name it something that corny. Oh, well, they come think that's going to take place in the castle itself. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. Mm. All right. Flight of the Hippogriff. Ooh, uh, that sounds okay. like a roller coaster. Dragon Challenge, which they dragon think is going to be the roller coaster. The Dragon oh, Challenge. Yeah, yeah. There, there's already there's already an existing ride, Laura. I think you've talked yeah. about this before. The Dueling Dragons mm-hmm. ride, and they're just going to retheme yeah, it. Yeah, pretty much. They already have two giant have, dragons built outside of it too. So I think. Oh. Yeah. So what? Is it a good? It ride? It is a really good ride. It is good. So. Are we thinking they're going to take mm. the dragons from Goblet of Fire and use them? I think that they might ride? just they might just remodel the ones they already have to make them look more Harry Potterish. Yeah. Do you think like the flight of the hippogriff might be like like the flying Dumbo ride at Disneyland? Well, that's what I'm thinking because there's there's actually like in that section of the park there's a kids roller coaster called the Flying Unicorn. So when you said that, that's what I thought of. I was like, oh man, seriously. <laughs> No, I hope it is. That would be so much fun. Like, can you imagine, like, climbing into a little hippogriff and going around? Like, I really want it to be not like, just like Dumbo, where you can go up and down. It'd be so much fun. I want thrill rides. <laughs> yeah, but I want rides where I can take photos and goof off and have fun. I think the flight of the hippogriff, which is my Dumbo with, I you think, know. You know, as long as they, yeah, they awesome. sell shirts that say, I survived the flight of the hippogriff. <laughs> that would be so awesome. Come on. If it's like Dumbo, I survived this crazy, oh, crazy. I think I'm kind of with Andrew. I'd rather be in like a little plastic a hippogriff and then fall like free falling like 500 feet with the hippogriff. Or may- yeah, like Tower of Terror. Yeah, like, like it's Tower uh, Tower of Astronomy or Astronomy Tower. <laughs> Dumbledore's of Dumbledore's death. Oh my god! That's- <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, like right before the first big fall, you see a big green light and you drop. <laughs> no, no, you you hear Sirius please or Severus please, and then they just try. As soon as you fall down, you hear about a cadaver. <laughs> Let's go to Universal with that. Yeah, you, you you hear about a cadaver, and it's a green flash, and that's when they take your picture, and that's when you fall. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's oh a green flash, God. so you're tinted green as you're falling. What? We should work for 
we should. We need to propose some of these ideas. Let's come up with some proposals. <laughs> okay, well, Micah, uh, I believe there's some last-minute news to discuss as well, or one last piece of news to discuss. Um, and last piece of news here, uh, de- some Deathly Hollows filming to update on. Um, we posted not too long ago that filming got underway for what looks to be part of the Seven Potters chase scene. Um, but what's yeah. odd about it is it looks like they're filming it on the ground and it's supposed to be taking place yeah. in the air. <laughs> what? That's a, that's upset a lot of people. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, like these photos. Now, the thing to keep in mind is that th- this doesn't mean the whole journey is going to be on the ground. Maybe this could be like, I don't know, like the beginning of it and then they'll go up in the air or something. Or maybe they've because... thrown in some random battle that didn't exist in the book. <laughs> Yeah. I'm just thinking that, like, you know, if, assuming they are going to film the flying scenes, we're not going to see them filming these anyway, because they have to do them inside studios, and there won't be, you know, paparazzi in there shooting that, so, uh, I don't, I think people shouldn't worry. The other weird thing is they're driving against traffic, so that leads me to believe they're going to be using this in the, in the film at some point. Oh, yeah, I didn't notice that. Man, that's going to add some extra fun. Some extra thrills. It's like he made a wrong turn or mm-hmm. something. We're going the wrong way. And there's some shots of uh, Harry like turning back and casting spells. So uh, it's interesting, interesting. A little worrying, but it's it's probably going to be similar to Order of the Phoenix when they were on the Thestrals flying back, and they they went through London. London, mm-hmm. yeah. Any other Deathly Hallows news? Yeah, Mike uh, Bill Nye was cast as. Uh, Scrimgeour during our uh, yeah. during our time off and, and says he starts filming next week in his role. Oh. So that should be cool. D- to be honest, did anybody not see this coming? Uh, I didn't know who Bill Nye is, but apparently everybody really? loves yeah. You've never seen like oh, Pirates of the Caribbean? Par- I have, but I didn't... Who does he play? He's Davy Jones. It, it, it's, it's a remarkable oh. likeness. <laughs> what about Shaun of the Dead? Yeah, that too. Ooh, and love uh, actually, hot, hot I haven't fuzz. seen that. Uh, hot fuzz, come on. Mm-hmm. Underworld. Oh, okay, sorry. I'm not up on my film. Stop hating on me. I can just develop Harry Potter rides. That's all I can do. <laughs> Avada Kedavra. <Yeah>. Flash. <laughs> <laughs> now I just wanted to say Severus, please. <laughs> And then we just fall at the speed of light. And you see like you see Dumbledore's body going down with you in front of you. Oh man, that's awful. <laughs> That'd be so cool. How would that be that. cool? Because oh I love the Tower of Terror at Disney and that's a that's But you a- wanna see some guy plunging to his death while you're going down with him? <laughs> yeah, it'd make it extra scary. <laughs> it's quite a thrill. Oh my god. Wow. <laughs> anyway, go go on, Micah. And the last piece of uh, Deathly Hollows news is just that Tom Felton has been filming for the past few weeks. That's about all uh, I got. Yes. Yeah. Well, that guy he's he's a big uh, Twitter user, and he's been twittering to all his fans that he's been filming, and he keeps talking about getting his hair bleached, and he keeps saying that the scenes are fantastic. So he's really getting everyone excited. I must mm-hmm. say. Yeah. All right. So is that it? Yeah, that's it. I just wanted to add one thing because we didn't really talk about it um, for the Wizarding World, the names of the different shops and restaurants, but they're pretty uh, obvious, I guess you could say. There's nothing really that anybody didn't expect. Yeah, that's true. You want to run through them real quick? Sure. Uh, Shops are Dervish and Bangs, Honeydukes, Ollivanders, Zonkos, and a place called Owl Post. (laughs) 
female letters there, you think? Yeah, just mind yourself while walking, because I'm sure there's oh. a lot of uh, <laughs> And uh, uh, restaurants, three not. broomsticks, something called Magic Neep, and the Butterbeer. I'm not oh, a big fan beer. of the last two. Wait, I think they're, they're a calling bit more a creative. restaurant Butterbeer? For right now, it's tentative, okay. I guess. I hope they yeah, change maybe that. Just, maybe it's a bar. Maybe it's a vendor. Yeah, maybe it is. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. What if it's just a vendor? Like yeah, on, on yeah, one of the sidewalks or something? Yeah. Okay, well, thank you, Micah. You are a wonderful news anchor, and we love having you here. Right, Goodbye. I'm out of here. I'm done for the day. <laughs> Time for some announcements. Uh, we like to remind you guys about all the stuff going on in the MuggleCast world. Don't forget to vote for us on Podcast Alley. That's podcastalley.com. We appreciate your vote over there because it helps us get noticed within the podcast community. And, uh, of course, we're at the end of July here, so, you know, give us a little bump at the end of July, but also uh, vote for us in August, uh, since August is right around the corner. Also, we were at Azcatraz last week in San Francisco. Mikey wasn't there, but uh, and Micah, for that matter. But Sorry. <laughs> Laura, Matt, and I were. It's not okay. Uh, no, but we had so much fun meeting the fans, yeah, right, guys? Yeah, it was a really yeah. great convention. So many yeah. new people, too. New convention goers. Yes, I love meeting yeah. new people. And it was it was great. And uh, some people we've seen there before. And Eric was there, too, as was uh, Elisa, who's been on MuggleCast a few times. So, all in all, it was a lot of fun. And we did a leaky mug with our friends at Pottercast. We did a panel on how to podcast. And we did a MuggleCast meetup. All three events were very well attended. Yeah. So, thank you so much to everyone who, who showed up and purchased uh, a t-shirt to help us support the show. Um, keep an eye. We still have MuggleCast t-shirts for sale from Azcatraz because we didn't sell them all. And uh, we still want to sell them. So I think what we're going to try to do is sell them through the podcast. Mm-hmm. So if you want a t-shirt, keep an eye on MuggleCast.com over the next week or so. And we'll post details on how to get a shirt if you didn't attend Azcatraz, but you still want one. Because we do want to sell them. So, um, and we'll probably sell them for between like 15 and $20, including shipping. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so keep an eye on MuggleCast.com if you're interested, and we can hopefully get you hooked up with a shirt. We had this wonderful designer, Stephanie Falcos. She's a fan, of, or she's a listener of the show, and she made these great designs for us, and we can't thank her enough for this. Thanks, Stephanie. Okay, and last but not least, our four-year anniversary is actually approaching here on MuggleCast. We started the show August 7th, 2005. That's when our first episode came out. So four years ago, right around now, uh... Ben, uh, Kevin, and I were were planning the show. We were like, oh, how are we going to do this? And uh, we were watching Laura complain in the forums that she wanted to be on, and we were ignoring her. <laughs> yeah. <And> so <laughs> Jerks. Love you. <laughs> Sexist pigs. So, so we're, we're going to put out another episode, episode 178. Maybe within the next one to two weeks, and we'll talk a lot about, you know, the show over the past four years. So, we'd like you guys to send in your favorite memories of the show, and how you, 
use and listen to MuggleCast. Just email in, like, you don't have to email in specific clips, but, you know, just tell us, you know, what, uh, how you've enjoyed the show over the past four, four years. You know, they could be chicken soupish or whatever. And, um, we'll, we'll read some of those on the next episode and we'll talk about four years of MuggleCast. It's pretty insane to think we've had four solid years now and we'll be entering our fifth year of MuggleCasting. It's pretty solid. It's that's that's kind of awesome. It doesn't hurt, Matt. Uh, I was exciting. I was as excited. Sorry. Oh, that's as excited, y'all. Can't you tell the difference? Yeah, not sort of. I can. Okay, let's. That's that's enough for announcements. So uh, let's get into some Muggle Mail, and this is all about Half Blood Prince because everybody's Half Blood Prince crazy right now. Laura, can you read the <gasps> crazy? First one? <laughs> sure. Crazy. Hey. The first one comes from Christina Funes, age 21, of Honduras, and she writes, Hey guys, love the show. You guys are great. I just saw the movie yesterday, and even though I really liked it, and I do think it's the best one yet, I was a little disappointed about certain scenes that were included in the movie and certain scenes from the book that weren't. I just thought the whole scene with the burrow burning could have been eliminated, just because it didn't really make any sense, and instead they should have shown the whole battle at Hogwarts between the students and the Order against the Death Eaters. I think the battle is so important in the book and there was no mention of Bill being attacked by Fenrir. So I was wondering what they're going to do with Bill on the 7th, because they have to include the wedding. Uh, what do you guys think of this scene? Um, honestly, I, I, I mean, didn't think it was really necessary. I think it was. And, and I'm going to take the probably the side most people won't agree on on this one, just because, I, I, again, I got into the series through the movies initially, and I think that scene was really important because it really brought about the dread. Because, like, the Burrow, you know, you, you already saw Molly. You know, she was the mothering type. And just looking at it from a movie perspective, not a book perspective at all, Molly was kind of something that parents and even kids can relate to because it's, like, their mom. And they're having their yeah. house destroyed and being scared. That really puts you in a state of fear of what's really going on. Because think of the book. The book really is not that scary. It's all about Draco and the, you know, the Half-Blood Prince, you know, potion book and, you know, everything that's going on. You really don't see Voldemort much in the book itself. It's really very isolated to what's going on with, you know, at Hogwarts. You know, Harry's learning a lot about Voldemort, but you don't see a lot of what's going on outside. And by having them destroy the burrow, you get a sense of fear of what's going on in the world around. Which, without that, I don't think they could have portrayed in the movie by going with what's in the book. Now, we knew, because, again, the book, but that scene, it was very critical to kind of explain that that's out. basically what uh david baron one of the producers said at the junket he said uh the, the the trio are always reading about the fear but we wanted them to experience it so this was their way of making them experience all the trouble going on around them so i, I personally i wasn't too much of a fan of the scene either uh micah what did, what did you think of the scene uh, i didn't really i, I kind of agree with Mikey. i didn't really have a problem with the scene i thought it fit only because uh, like you just said, they were trying to strike that balance, um, and they did a really good job of it. Obviously, you had the the opening attack on London early on, and then I think they wanted to kind of continue that throughout the course of the movie to sh- as a build up to what was going to happen at Hogwarts. But uh, I just I didn't really see that much of an issue with it. I know a lot of people had a problem with it, um, but kind of the other part of her question too, you know, talking about Bill. And the, and the wedding that's supposed to happen in the seventh movie, I think that that's going to be there. I don't think it's as critical that they showed him being attacked by Fenrir Greyback, though. 
I think that's kind of one of those things that you can leave out. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. never even put in the movie that Fenrir Greyback was even a werewolf. Yeah, he was just he was just kind of hairy. <laughs> um the way the way that I felt about this scene was it was a really great scene to behold. I mean, just really well put together. It was wonderful to watch. Um, I don't think I would have missed it had it not been there. The only problem I have with it, though, is that when you really start to pick it apart, there are certain things that really don't yeah. make logical sense. And these are things that were actually brought up by a lot of fans, like the fact that Harry goes running and all they do is just go, Harry, no! Like, they don't do anything. And then these, like, spots open in the fire magically for Harry and Ginny to go right. running through. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> these other more practiced wizards can't get through the fire. <laughs> Magical spots. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you, you can't let Dan actually jump through fire. That'd be, that'd be insane. Yeah, that would be yeah. too much of a stunt. One thing about uh, Greyback, though, that I thought was interesting and I don't know if anyone else caught it. I thought Lupin, when he first walked outside in into the night, like I thought he could smell Fenrir Greyback. Yeah, I thought that was that was kind of like something mm-hmm. that the director put in there that maybe not everybody would get if you hadn't read the book. Mm-hmm. Like, cause, yeah, that's know, true. He, that was yeah, very subtle. Totally sensing well. something, like he could smell. He he knew what he was smelling. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny when Tonks was like. Oh, it's 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 uh, it's always worse right before the full moon or the, the, what the, the first say? phase. Well, is she always... was like the first yeah. night. Is of the... Oh, right. She said the first night of the cycle is always the worst. Yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. You could be a little immature with that. Oh, statement, we totally were. It's his, it's his time of the cycle. His time of the month. Oh, poor poor Lupin. Okay, um, this next email. Every once, I wanted to read this because this was funny. It's one of, it's sort of like a, huh? or huh? I can't do it anymore. I'm too old for this. But we, every once in a while, people think that we're WB, like MuggleNet and MuggleCast or Warner Brothers. And so sometimes people ask, like, if they can audition for the movie and, like, you know, like, they direct it as, like, to your WB when they're writing to us. But anyway, this one came in uh, just the other day. I have no idea why you waited so long to release The Half-Blood Prince. It was very disappointing and most awful. The movies before it were very entertaining and followed the books better. What happens? If there is going to be a follow-up with the next movie, I hope you go back to the standards you set in the beginning. This one was really awful. It is really sad when you come out of a theater and there are other people speaking their disappointment as well. Well, just thought you should know that this one was uh, terrible compared to the other Harry Potter movies. Even the kids wanted to know what happened. (laughs) And it's from Patricia Even Moore. The kids so kids wanted to know what happened. I yeah, I have a hard time like you know feeling bad for people like her when she doesn't even know like that we're not WB. It's kind of weird. There's yeah. a K and terrible. Uh, Poor Patricia. Yeah, not not too good of a speller. And there's but, a there's a yeah. Zero so just so everyone compared. knows, we're not WB. Yeah, she spelled compared with a zero. Come zero yeah. error. Well, you know. Yeah, I can understand people being upset. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to look at the good here. Okay, I always do. Um, I, I can really, I can see. It. I can understand people being upset. You know, I I, I haven't given my feelings on Half Blood Prince yet, uh, which we'll get to later. But I I I, I think definitely it's. Uh, I kind of find it odd that she says this is a lower standard because personally I feel this is significantly better than Order of the Phoenix for a for a, for a wide range of reasons. But um, uh, me too. And we'll get into that more later. Matt, can you read the next email? Um, yeah. Okay. 
Uh, okay, so our next email comes from Ronnie15 from New Jersey, and Ronnie writes, Hey, Mugglecasters, huge fan of the show. I was just wondering what you guys thought of the whole Snape teaching Defense Against the Dark Arts scenario. During Dumbledore's speech, he announces Snape as a Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, and the Great Hall breaks out in whispers. But that was it. The fact that Snape had finally gotten the teaching position that he'd been after since he first started working at Hogwarts only seemed to matter for 30 seconds, and then nobody cared anymore. I think by showing Snape's classes actually in progress, moviegoers, moviegoers would be able to see more of his bitterness towards Harry rather than just seeing him being a jerk around Hogwarts. What do you think? Does the film do Snape's, Snape's character any justice without showing him actually teaching, or could there have been more? Anyway, you guys are totally awesome, and... Matt, your red shoes make me smile. Keep up the awesomeness. My... I assume she's friends with you on Facebook. Otherwise, I don't know how she would know I such a not. thing. I wear but... red Vans, by That's... the way. Those are my favorite shoes ever. It's... Oh, you're so hip. They're cool. Um, okay, you, you can't deny Vans are awesome. One thing I really enjoyed about uh, like the first two movies is that you do see a lot of classroom interaction. And, yeah, I, I think it was a time constraint thing, as 99% of the things going on in these films are. Um, so, I don't know. I missed it, but then again, I don't think they needed to put much emphasis on Snape being Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. I mean, they, they had the moment. Dumbledore noted that he's the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher now. Obviously, so Slughorn taking potions made sense. Uh, but I don't think they had to put too much well. on it. And seeing the potion class in Half-Blood Prince was nice, I, too. Yeah, it was a good scene. I also kind of thought that Snape's character did get enough development just because they showed his interactions with Draco and Dumbledore. And I think those yeah. things were far more important than his classroom presence. True. Yeah, I mean, um, Rodney was bringing up the whole point, I guess, about just Snape's hatred towards Harry, which we really didn't see in this movie too much. Well, I think also so. missing something. You just know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's been built up already. You get a lot of it in the prior films, though, and you can sense how he really feels about Harry from that. I don't, I don't really think you needed it in this movie, even though you kind of have that battle going on in the book between Harry and Snape, because Harry is supposed to be this great defense against the dark arts student, and now he's kind of going head to head with Snape in the classroom. Yeah. Yep. Okay, uh, next email. Micah, could you read that? The final one for today. Final email comes from Lara21 of Texas, and she says, Hey, MuggleCast, what did you guys think of the opening scene of Half-Blood Prince? Personally, I thought the whole thing with Harry flirting with that waitress was really out of character. My th first thought was when I saw that scene was that Harry would never do that. I know they did that scene as a way to open the film without the Dursleys, but for me, the way they had Harry act was extremely off-putting. He just doesn't act like that. Your thoughts. Also, why didn't the pictures in The Daily Prophet move? Other than that first scene, I loved the movie and thought it was a good interpretation of the book. I'd love to hear what y'all think. My only problem with this scene was that I don't think Harry would be sitting in a muggle cafe reading a wizard newspaper. That was kind yeah. of dumb. Yeah. But aside from that, I mean, come on. He's a 16-year-old boy. Of course he's going to notice a pretty girl. And the other weird thing was break. the pictures The pictures in the newspaper stopped yeah. moving when she came yeah. around. And that doesn't happen in the books, right? They keep moving. Because she was like, I swore yeah. I just saw one of them move. I don't think she says it about today, but, but you she know, says, I swear, you know, I saw one move like a while ago. Like, you know, because it, oh. it sounds like Harry's been to that shop a couple times. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
she says, like, the other day. I gotta be honest. The first time I saw the film, like, I guess my brain needs to, like, transition between the American accent and the British accent, because that entire scene, I sat there saying, what are they saying? Because they were, like, mumbling in their British accent, and <laughs> my brain hadn't adjusted yet to understanding the accent. I literally could not understand the entire scene. <laughs> wow. You're so oh. uncultured, well, Andrew. I know. Is exactly. that more sad you than took funny? the words right out of my mouth, Laura. <laughs> Maybe I was just awestruck at seeing the movie, finally, but it was it was just like, I don't know. I literally could not understand it. I was just like, what are they saying? I, I thought leaving the Dursleys out was a big mistake. I but agree. I, Me too. And I think mm-hmm. they could have done a, a really good job with it, that whole scene between you know Dumbledore and, the, and especially Petunia. Yeah. Yeah. That's classic Dumbledore, too. In the beginning there. It would have been great to see that. Well, maybe we'll see it in the next movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, enough with emails. Let's get into uh, our discussion of Half-Blood Prince. There's so much to talk about, and we're all really excited to finally get down and dirty with it. Um, Let's just go around and get quick initial reactions uh, from everyone. And we'll start with Matt and Mikey, since we haven't heard theirs yet. And I guess I guess we haven't heard Laura's yet either, because the the leaky mug wasn't hasn't been released yet. <laughs> Sorry. So, um, Laura, let's start with you. What are your oh. general thoughts of the film? Tell us what did you think of Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince. I have to say first off that I haven't actually genuinely appreciated one of these movies as a film since I saw Prisoner of Azkaban. So. This movie was a nice treat for me because I walked out of the theater automatically just like, wow, this was a great movie. They did such a good job kind of condensing the story, but also keeping true to the spirit of the books. It, along with Prisoner of Azkaban, had a lot of things that weren't canon and a lot of things that weren't in the books. They definitely did take some liberties, but I thought all of the liberties they took were keeping sort of in spirit with the books. And I really appreciated it. Also, the foreshadowing was outstanding i i feel like for once in our lives they actually realize there's another book that comes after the story they're telling so they they did a lot of foreshadowing and i really appreciated it yeah my initial reaction was i liked it um i was a little worried going into it um because i didn't like order the phoenix that much like i liked the film but it was probably my least favorite out of all of them. Um, and that was mainly because of David Yates. You know, I didn't feel he was a very strong director. Yeah, yeah. Um, and before Order of the Phoenix, he had done mostly television for like the past seven years. But I do think Warner Bros. did a great job deciding to keep him for the rest of the films. Because you can see how much he's grown as a director in the film. Like, this is a much, much better film. And I'm excited to see him. And his, you know, and his, you know, Deathly Hollows, both, you know, part one and part two. Like, I really am happy that he's doing both of those. Um, so the film, you know, I, I was worried about it going into it and I walked away satisfied. There's a whole lot, you know, we've kind of touched on, you know, the Dursleys not being in it, the whole battle at the very end with the Order of the Phoenix. You know, there's a lot of stuff missing. Um, but I, I was still happy. Like, I left it enjoying the film. So. Um, overall, I, the first time I saw it, I really, really enjoyed it. The second time, I think I enjoyed it even more. The third time, I think I still liked it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, I, I think, Show well, no, off. Okay, You're but, showing off how many times you like, saw uh, Honestly, though, I think m- what I, what I was most pleased with was with what Laura said, um, the fact that, you know, the foreshadowing 
was was great. Uh, I think I think it made a, a a big difference because they actually know what happened in the next book. Like this is the first movie where the series is actually over with, and they know what's going <laughs> to happen at the end, so it's easier to foreshadow what's going to happen. So they know what to keep yeah. in. Um, I thought the acting was pretty much the best in all the the previous films. Um, Jim Broadbent was hilarious in it, and I even think Dan was even a lot more funnier in this film than he was before. More funny. Uh, fu- yeah, sorry, funnier. Yes. Yes, but the pacing was really good too. I think that's why I didn't really get tired while watching it, since it was a, a longer movie. But I, I thought the pacing was awesome. Micah. Hmm. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what's been said already. Um, I think there was good balance also um, between the comedy and uh, the action and the romance that was in there, I guess. Uh, And it just did a a great job compared to, I guess, Order of the Phoenix, but really all the other movies that came before it. I thought, for me, it was my favorite movie so far. Um, And that's really all I have to say. I mean, everyone else made pretty good points. Yeah, I won't be redundant either. I mean, we uh I basically echo everyone's sentiments. Um do you guys think and we don't have to spend much time on this cuz we've beaten it to death, the rating. Uh everyone was surprised when it got a PG rating. Do you think it deserved the PG rating? I'm going to go right, right out there and say simply put, yeah, or yes, it deserved the PG rating because it was a lot of romance and it really balanced out the darkness. Uh and made it very family-friendly, I thought. Yeah, and also, there were some scenes they were very cautious with, with some of the violence, um, particularly the beginning with the bridge. You notice everybody managed to make it safely off the bridge. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> and then, of course, there's the whole thing with Draco, um, where he's, I mean, he definitely bleeds, but, like, I think, I don't remember who brought up this point, but, like, the spell cuts his skin, but not his shirt. So you don't actually oh, see yeah. any of the wounds. You just see blood. Um, yeah. So they were very cautious with some of the violence, I think, this time around. I think it's fair to say that was the most yeah. gory scene. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And it was pretty nasty seeing that blood, you know, flow into the water. Oh, totally. What I, what I was going to ask was, what do you guys think the most, surpre- like, the most, I, I guess, the darkest, like, scariest scene? What was the most scary, what was the scariest scene? Katie Bell. Yeah. You think that was so? pretty freaky, yeah. But that really, or, I don't know. Or the inferior. When I saw that in the tra- when I saw the Katie Bell thing in the trailer, I thought it looked really weird. I thought it looked like something from The Grudge, and I still thought that <laughs> when I saw the movie, I was like, "What is this?" Yeah. Well, she's cursed. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not like out of the ordinary. But it for wasn't anybody. scary. It was. It looked really fake. Well, well was she supposed to like turn her head 360 degrees and then start no, spitting I mean, pea just soup? Like, the, the mouth thing, like her mouth was just unnatural. Like, I don't know. It just looked very odd. I thought. I think I agree. A uh, couple of you guys said the, the Inferi. I think that was the most shocking and that was the scariest moment because... Um, you knew they were going to come out of the water, but you didn't know when. You know, it's that classic movie trick they do on you. And the funny thing about it in Half Blood Prince was that you thought you knew when it was coming, but it was like a half second later than you expected. (laughs) So that's really what shocked everyone. And it's one of those moments where the entire theater like shakes to life. It was so fun to watch too. 
especially yeah. if you knew it was coming. You also got to remember that the Infury, if we're calling the Infury the scariest part right here that would bump it to like a PG-13 rating, like that's the same, the Infury looked yeah. very similar to, you know, they're not identical, but very similar to like Pirates of the Caribbean when they went through the moonlight. The same thing, this very scary, dead, you know, you know, type look. So like, you know, I was I was thinking actually, Mikey, um, the Inferi look sort of like the Dead Marshes from uh, Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers. Well, that's what I was thinking, but I'm, I'm comparing it. Well, Lord of the Rings is not PG thirteen or PG, is it? Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm comparing right. this. No, yeah, it's PG thirteen. But I'm thinking going comparing it to like Pirates of the Caribbean, a, a Disney film that is PG. It's PG thirteen. Is Pirates of the Caribbean PG thirteen? I thought it was PG. No, I think it's PG thirteen. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I'm probably wrong. Of course I am. I'm gonna look it up. I could have sworn it was PG. The only other thing would be Dumbledore's death, and and that really wasn't even, you know, graphic. It wasn't gruesome. Yeah, yeah that yeah, was. Yeah. I don't know. I thought I thought they played that down a bit from the book. I mean, in the book you have Dumbledore sort of laying there, and this description of how he's sort of at odd angles because clearly he's broken several bones by falling and. There was, like, blood trickling out of his mouth in the book and all this other stuff. But in the movie, it was very clean, you know? Yeah. Well, did, did, didn't it say he looked like a rag doll? Yeah. 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 No. It. Yeah, it was just sad, in my opinion. Yeah. Andrew, didn't you interview someone? I, I can't remember who it was, but they said that they were shocked that the, the MPAA gave it a PG rating. Um. Yeah, uh, Heyman was. I mean, uh, David Heyman, the producer, he was, he was pretty shocked when... He 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 was like, "What the hell is this?" So, but I get it now. Like, it makes sense to me. And as corrupt as the MPAA are, it's it's just you know, a parents like rating movies. Um, I think that it made sense. I, it was a very it was a very happy film. At at the same time, it was a very sad and dark one. But I think the happiness really turned it into more of a family film, the love yes. stuff, like I said earlier. Well, I think it could have gotten PG-13 for some of the suggestive stuff that was done in those oh, yeah. scenes as Definitely. well. Yeah. I'm on the fence at this point. I was wrong about the Pirates Caribbean. It was PG-13, of course. Um, How dare you, Mike? I know, I know. I don't do my homework before I come on the show. Um, okay, well, there, there are a couple new characters as well that we should definitely talk about uh, most notably jim broadbent as slughorn and jesse cave as lavender brown um let's start with jim broadbent what do you guys think of jimmy boy he was brilliant a, i love jimmy. what were your favorite scenes with him oh man i really enjoyed um the memory scenes with tom riddle yeah. those were just yes awesome <laughs> i yeah i think overall those scenes the memory scenes were my particularly my favorite favorite jim broadbent was awesome and also the guy who plays teenage tom riddle he was fantastic yeah, he was so creepy oh my god yeah and he was so smooth and so elegant and oh it was awesome. so voldemort i liked him Very better than christian colson Whatever Me his too. Name is. Yeah, that's that's right. Christian Coulson is a joke compared to this uh -huh. guy. It's just he's just creepier and he he filled the role more. It was just you know really pleasantly surprising seeing these uh, new characters really stand out. Anything else to say about uh, um, Jim Broadbent? Any other favorite scenes? I think it was really funny at Aragog's funeral. Yeah, that yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> Was the story that he told about Lily, was that in the books or was that added? No, it, it wasn't. No, that no, was added. Wasn't. But that's I like just, that story. Yeah, that a was lot. just another thing that I really thought was in keeping with the spirit of the story. I thought that was really yeah. well done. 
Totally. You know what I really liked about Jim Broadbent, though, is that when you look at him physically, he's not Scrimgeour. Or not Scr- uh, Excuse me. Slughorn. I'm sorry. Too many S names. Yeah. Um, he's not, okay. he's not Slughorn, but in character, he is. He just nailed it. Yeah. yeah. And I think when the first photo of Slughorn came out, I remember people saying, well, he's not he's not fat enough or he's not plump enough. <laughs> well, th- that reminds me a lot of what they said about Am- Imelda Staunton, too, when she played Umbridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But they both nailed it. But hey, what do you, I mean, yeah, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Okay, so what do you guys think of Jessie Cave? I thought she really stood out, too. She played Lavender Brown. I thought she was great, too. She was really good. She yeah. she depicted the whole teenage angst love relationship in, like, high school. She was just the right amount of annoying. Yep. Like, really? <laughs> yeah. Like, in the books, Lavender annoyed me. In the movie, she annoyed me. But she was just enough to where I didn't, like, hate her. It was like, okay, she's annoying. She's what I expected. But her face after they broke up was priceless when they were yeah. in the Great Hall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that yeah. was great. She's like, I'm going to scratch your eyes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And my favorite was the hospital wing when uh, when uh, Slughorn, Dumbledore, and Snape are in there, too. And just seeing the three of them watching all this drama mm-hmm. go on, I thought was so funny. Yeah. And, like, they obviously have so many better things to be doing, but they're sitting there watching but that. But Dumbledore <laughs> had the best quote, too. Yeah. Oh to, oh, to be young and to feel love's keen sting. Yeah. There's so many quotes from this movie. Yeah. I love the quote now, like that. And uh... well, actually, while, while we're still on the um, the whole hospital wing scene, um, did you guys th- think of it as a really great little treat that we got to see Madame Pomfrey again? Oh yeah, yeah that that was nice. She had a nice little cameo. Mm-hmm. She didn't say anything, but she was still there. It's okay. So they got the, they got back. this woman into full costume just so they could have one shot with her in it. Hey, it's all about detail. And it was Laura. two shots, Laura. <laughs> Yeah, she, she oh, was okay. the uh, sorry. the wand scene at the end. Yeah, the 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 wand light vigil. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> okay, so they used her. They used her enough. Um, moving along, Michael Gambon. Now, this has always been a big discussion <sighs> point on our show. I personally, I hear Mikey's grown, but I personally feel Michael Gambon redeemed himself in this film. He was fantastic. He was really good. Now, Mikey, let's hear your problem. <laughs> I won't say he was fantastic, but he definitely improved. Okay, good. He definitely, definitely improved. Um, I still don't. I, I still didn't feel the connection to him that I did in the books. Like, I, you know, I've said it before in the book. When I got to Dumbledore's death, when I read the book, I threw the book across the room and I stopped reading for like five minutes. Um, <laughs> for like five minutes, and then I had to finish up. I thought you were going to say <laughs> five like, days. <laughs> yeah, no, it was like five minutes. Okay. I went and got a drink of water afterwards. I was upset. Um, but it may have been Kool-Aid or something. Who knows? I, but I, honestly, I didn't feel the connection to Michael Gammon. He did improve a lot. Like, again, going back to, you know, his best film, I feel, was what people consider to be the worst one, which was Prisoner of Azkaban. Just because he kind of was fleety like He's like, you know, I don't know what you're doing. You know, even though he knew the time turn and stuff like that. And, you know, in Goblet of Fire, it's like... Harry, did you put, you know, that there? And then again, in Order of the Phoenix, just the amount of, I don't yeah. know. I just, he, he didn't, he did a great job for this movie. He did a much better job. And I think he did a good job for him, but I think he could have done a much better job. Um, I, I don't know. I just, it's one of those things where 
I was I still wasn't completely satisfied, but at the same time, I don't ever think I would be completely satisfied with Michael Gammon as Dumbledore, and I don't think they should change him at all. I I, I gotta say the part that the, what I like what I liked most about Michael Gambon playing Dumbledore in this movie is that he got rid of the whole cranky Dumbledore. Yeah, it was a weak feeling. Dumbledore and, this time. And and do you guys honestly think it it, it helped the fact that Dumbledore was gay? No, okay, we can. No, you don't no, think so? there's. Well, that's what no, because that's what I've been reading a lot on Twitter and stuff. It's because like they say that that he had he got a little more sensitive side. But so. it's because of all the drama that was going on. Being gay or not, he doesn't have to be more sensitive. That doesn't mean you're more sensitive. I think that he, Michael Gambon knew he. Okay, he hasn't read the books, but Michael Gambon knew it was a much. It was it, Dumbledore was struggling in this film. He was becoming weak because mm-hmm. of his hands, and he was about to die. And he wanted to be careful with Harry. And also, I think the producers just told him this is a weak Dumbledore in this book, and you see that so much in the book. Poor old weak Dumbledore. Um, that was a big theme yeah. uh, leading up to his death. And so that's what I think happens. And. I'll give my thoughts on Michael Gammon now, besides what I, I said before. I think the Harry and Dumbledore relationship, and Mikey, I want to say this specifically to you, really made Michael Gambon stand out in this role, because he really connected with Harry. When he talked to Harry seriously, he was very calm and collected, and that's what redeemed uh, Michael Gambon for me. No, like I said, he did much better, and, it, and I, it's not that I didn't like him, it's just I don't think he's as good as... He's not what Dumbledore could have been to me. You know what I mean? Like, I had a much more stronger connection to Dumbledore while reading the books, and it's just been, like, downhill with Gambon. And honestly, in this movie, I thought he was the best he's ever been. Yeah. Really? You know, he really has redeemed himself a lot. I just don't think he's, you know, great in it. And it's one of those things where, again, you know, a perfect example is, you know, Harry, I need you to get this memory. It's like, there was no connection. I didn't feel there was a connection there. And, like, what really is, like, Harry's like, well, Dumbledore says I have to do it. And it's like... Whereas before, it's like he already uh, you really didn't understand at that time why you needed yeah. that memory. Whereas, whereas in the book, it, Dumbledore had laid it out on the table and he said, "Harry, this is what's going on, and you are the only." But person that's what that can get that's this. what keep people so on the edge of their seat. I think wondering why Dumbledore needed these memories so bad. And I think it was clear that Dumbledore didn't really know either. He said that Dumbledore yeah, said, I, I, "I I I need to know what." what uh, Slughorn really said and it was a modified dream it wasn't real yeah I, I know I agree but it's just one of those things like like Harry agreeing to Dumbledore like especially how he was again I, I'm looking at the books and the movies how he was treated in the book before you know in Order of the Phoenix to Dumbledore like, like you know it's you know there really wasn't a strong apology you know at the end of the you know fifth book you know, at the end of the fifth movie and if end of the fifth book there was yeah. a great apology um, about what happened but, and then the fifth movie not so much. Uh, six movie opening, not really an apology or anything. You know, you really don't have anything like build, rebuilding that bridge that was lost in Order of the Phoenix, which in the book there really was. So I, I think because of that, that's why I'm not happy with Dumbledore. Not saying I didn't like him. Like I said, I like this movie. I like it a lot more than, you know, Order of the Phoenix. And I'm glad David Yates is doing it because I'm excited to see what he's going to do for Deathly Hollows. Gambin, on the other hand, I don't think brought as much as he could have, but at the same time, it might not all be him. You know, he finally read the script, which has him death, and that's kind of like the end of his character. Well, and he's read his character, you know? Regardless of what he brought, 
I know that he brought two things, and that was two tears from Laura and me and one scene. <laughs> he gave you that. Yeah. When we, he, he made Laura and I ball like little girls. Well, I, 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 I didn't I, ball. I yeah, you, you did. Balled. Well, okay. <laughs> Laura, just, <laughs> just, just, just bear with me here, please. <laughs> Laura, he doesn't oh, want to sound like he was more of a girl than you were. Yeah, and uh, or you were crying, or he was okay. crying more than you were, because we all know you're a big crybaby. I, cry I baby. shed. I I totally <laughs> am. No, I actually kind of am. Um, no, I shed some tears, but I made because sh- I was sitting next to Andrew, so I like only cried on the right side of my face. <laughs> I did like. So that you know, I, I understand. So that Andrew wouldn't look over and laugh at me. Well, while we're talking about this, the first time I saw it, I teared up when Slughorn. When we saw the real memory between Slughorn and Teenage Riddle, because that was like, for me, it was like, oh my god, this is it. This is what's setting up the final two and a half films yeah. we're about to watch. Like that was the beginning of the end. And that's that's the first time you hear the word horcruxes, and it was pretty intense. I thought, yeah. Micah, did you cry at any no, point? I, I know you're you. you're a bit of a crybaby too. Oh yeah, I'm a big crybaby. No, but um, seriously, let's be honest here. Did you shed any tears? No, no, actually, I didn't. And if one scene though that would have gotten to me, it would have been the scene um, that when Slughorn was telling the story about Lily. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty sad. Um, Oh, and also when Harry was um, giving Dumbledore the potion. Yes. That was awful. That That moved me the second time, I must say. That was a really good scene, and it really really captured the the chapter in the book as well. Yeah, it did. It was very loyal to the chapter. Okay, uh, Micah, do you want to talk about the next point? Sure. Uh, Part of uh, my problem with Half-Blood Prince, um, even though I really did like it a lot, was that I thought they made Snape's true allegiance a little bit too obvious. Yes. And, and I just want to know what you guys well, thought Well, with one that. particular. What scene? A lot of them. Yeah. Uh, well, what stands out? Maybe when Snape tells Harry, shh. No. No, 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 no. I, I, I think the biggest scene was when he was telling Dumbledore that he doesn't want to do this anymore. Don't you think you ask too much? Uh, yeah, that, that was... Lifted that was straight a little out of obvious. book seven too. Yeah, it was. It, yeah, exactly. It, it it was. I mean, it was great. That was kind of foreshadowing from the scene in the in Snape's memory. But I think it may have just been a little bit too early for the audience. Well, let's remember though, how many people didn't know that Snape was good as of the end of Half Blood Prince? Everybody knew. Everybody knew that Snape was going to turn out to be good, but they loved to debate about it because there wasn't because there was just as much evidence to point both ways. Technically, technically, but most people kind of took the side that no, Snape's going to turn out to be good. Well, of course, it wasn't, it, but no, it wasn't a shock that he turned out to be good. What was a shock was that he actually loved Harry's mother, and I think that's what they're going to play at more in the next movie. Yeah, yeah, or the rather yeah. the movie after the next movie. I guess the biggest thing maybe it didn't come from Snape came from Dumbledore when he says Severus please there was no uh, he wasn't nervous at all he wasn't scared it, it was almost like uh, he was we all know he was asking Snape to kill him yeah but and, and the, thought, it looked like he was asking him to kill him too exactly and that's the thing you didn't walk away from it saying oh man Snape just killed Dumbledore now all, there's all this impending doom that's about to come 
And well, I guess you same... know that from reading the book, but... Yeah. The thing is, we're looking at it as, you know, people who have read the books. I would be interested to speak to somebody who had never read them. Because yeah. you could be looking at an entirely different perspective. Yeah. And, you know, like, my family members, uh, my mom, brother, and sister, they all went to see this. And they, they if I asked them a question like Snape's Allegiance, they wouldn't have any idea what I was talking about. But they really enjoyed the film. And I think it connects so much, the, the this film, because it's so funny. There's so many funny moments, but at the same time, there's dark stuff. So it, this really is a perfect film, whether you're, whether you're a big Harry Potter fan or not. I know that totally doesn't relate to what we were just just discussing, but no, it, it does. Like my dad and my mom called me, you know, and my dad never goes to see the Harry Potter films, but my mom somehow talked him into going to go see it. And my dad called me the next day, super excited about it, and saying, "Oh, I'm sure you already saw it." Blah 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 blah. Um, but he he was just saying that he's like, and he even mentioned that you know Snape you know killed you know Dumbledore. He's a bad guy. My dad yeah. thinks that. Uh, and I'm not going to ruin it for him when he sees if he sees the next movie. If he doesn't see it, I'll probably tell him if he asks. But you know, it's one of those things where, um, yeah, no, I, I it's for uh, people who aren't into the books like we are. Um, it's a great film. My parents loved it. My dad, who's never seen, he may have seen some of the other ones while I'm watching them at when I was at their house. But you know, he yeah. enjoyed the movie. Just coming into this is yeah, like his it's first great to film. hear. It's great mm-hmm. to see non-Potter fans really enjoying it. I was going to say the only other thing I would add from the whole Snape thing was that the the end scene with Harry when he's telling Bellatrix to leave him alone, and you know, Snape could have easily captured Harry at that point and taken him with him. So uh, I just think I, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe the average moviegoer. But it was the same in the book too. Yeah, but it was kind of anticlimactic when Snape goes, "I am the Half Blood Prince." It just that didn't seem kind well, of out of place. He's, it's what he said. In the no, yeah, no, but yes. no, but it wasn't really though. He was kind of like shouting at him too. It really didn't mean anything to the movie. I didn't think. Oh, you're the Half Blood Prince. What does that really mean? It means nothing. Well, I think. Well, I think the problem with that was they didn't go into the whole thing about Snape being a half blood, and also the um, the meaning of prince. Not necessarily that he was actually a prince, no. but that it was his mother's yeah. name. Yeah, they didn't explain they didn't, any they didn't of that. Didn't go into any and of the that. whole Lily backstory too. Yeah, and he didn't. And he didn't really seem very sensitive when he called him coward in the movie either, because he didn't say like, "Don't that call me a... coward." Exactly. I was really pissed. Me too. Out. Me too. Yeah. They left it wide open twice. Yeah. Very strange. I mean, it would not have, obviously, it would not have been hard to include those lines, so. I don't know. Good question for Heyman or the director, David Yates. But go on, Micah. Did you guys feel that there was too much information left out as far as Horcruxes are concerned? Um, there was no memory going back um, to Hepzibah Smith where he would have learned about the cup. Uh, there really wasn't a whole lot of backstory on the ring. You got maybe about 30 seconds uh, seeing it, and there was no shot of the diadem in the Room of Requirement. Mm-hmm. So There's also no sh- there's no um, indication of the locket, too, from Order of the Phoenix. Right. They never included that um, back in well, movie they, 5. Yeah, they didn't. But I don't know. I feel like this is going to be one of those things since the Deathly Hallows film is going to be so long kind of you know how they were lifting stuff from book seven and putting it in this movie in terms of foreshadowing i think they'll probably lift some of the horcrux stuff and put it into seven 
just so that, that the story... That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Just so that the story kind of goes together. Because the Horcrux thing is very complicated if you think about it. And if you think about the average moviegoer, they might get confused if you explain too much about it in movie six and then just jump into it in movie seven with no explanation. Yeah, but the biggest problem is there, is, there isn't even any hypothesizing from Dumbledore as to what he thought the Horcruxes were. So how does... Harry even, and I know they can write this in easily, but something like Nagini was something mm-hmm. that was suggested by Dumbledore to Harry, and also that some of the items may come from other heads of house that um, you know what I'm saying? There wasn't yeah. that dialogue between the two yeah. of them. Yeah. Right. Well, there also is that part at the beginning of Deathly Hallows where the trio receive things from Dumbledore. And it could just easily be sort of explained away, like in a letter or something along those lines. I'm sure. Yeah, I, I, I've been standing. You know, I have a similar opinion of like, like Laura's. I think they're just going to write in one or two extra lines to, ex- to set up whatever they missed in the past films, and that'll be that. Really quick stuff. They can. Uh, they're smart. They 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 don't have a they don't have a choice at this point. <laughs> right. They no. have. Yeah. They no, have they, to. Yeah. There is no next movie. Yeah. True. Yeah, they they did it just like Laura said to make you know again like I said about my dad seeing this movie. It's you know they need each film to stand off on their own, and if they explained way too much in this film about Horcruxes, which this film was a lot, the book was a lot about Horcruxes. If they put it in that, if they didn't put it in that next film, people coming to it for the first time, second time, may not remember, may not you know follow along. We will, but the average moviegoer won't. So, so I mean, we talked just talked a little bit about it, but do you think that aside from the Horcrux stuff, that they set up Deathly Hollows well enough? I think they did. I mean, they really leave the movie open. I think this this movie was the one uh, was one in particular where they leave it really open ended at the end. It doesn't end on a happy moment, you know. Not every everyone's nobody's giving Hagrid a standing ovation. Nothing cheesy where Harry and Hermione are flying on Buckbeak, you know, stupid stuff like that. They just let. I mean, yeah. while mm-hmm. while cute, it was stupid. You know, they just let it. They just let it go. They just left it wide yeah. open. Yeah. Laura. Well, I what? Oh, I sorry. Laura. Go ahead, Laura. Yeah. Uh, what I liked about the way they ended it they ended it was um i remember a quote from jk rowling when half-blood prince was published and she said that to her half-blood prince and deathly hallows felt like two halves of the same novel Mm. and that's the whole impression i got of this movie was it was kind of like the first lord of the rings film where like it just sort of left off and you knew that there was more story there you know it wasn't complete yet and that's what i really liked about it It, that's what i thought too it really felt like a, a part one a part one. This is the real part one. Deathly Hallows. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I really agree with Laura on this. It, it, it seemed to me like I, I know Mikey's gonna l- like this, but it's it was like The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> of the Harry Potter films, it, it was it, it definitely just left off to where like pretty much they got like the biggest blow they could possibly get was Dumbledore's death, and now. Now they have to act from there. Let's move on to our listener tweets to wrap up our Half-Blood Prince discussion. Uh, on our Twitter, which is at twitter.com slash mugglecast, we asked you guys to send in your thoughts about the film. And here's some of them. Uh, Kale Cal writes, Do you think when Voldemort gave Draco the mission, he also gave him his suit from Order of the Phoenix? Seriously, Draco, <laughs> wear your school robes. That's a good point. I didn't notice that before. Draco and Voldemort were in the same thing, and when Voldemort's in the train station and Draco's on the train. Oh, that's funny. 
<laughs> that is funny. Maybe they're trying to make him look similar to make him look just as eerie or I don't know. Maybe it's a David Yates touch. Uh, next feedback. Ace Loves You says, Hapwood Prince was second only to Prisoner of Azkaban and only because I was sad they cut out Dumbledore's funeral. Were you guys sad they cut out Dumbledore's funeral? When I heard about it originally, I was not happy, but in the context of the film, I was fine with it. Yeah, they still paid tribute. Yeah. And it was a yeah. touching tribute. They could have shown the white tomb, though, I felt, because it's going to play a role in the next Yeah, film. instead of him, his straight-up dead body just laying there. I mean, you know, they could have showed both. His dead... You know when his body's on the ground? Mm-hmm. Maybe instead of the wands all being, you know, raised into the air for that, they could have they could have done it for uh, the white tomb. But whatever. Next uh, tweet is from Angela KH522. Having Harry just wait below the tower fully mobile made no sense. Why did they veer from the book? What do you, what did you guys think about that when he Harry was on the lower level of the tower so he looked up and see, saw Dumbledore I think they filmed the first part of, like they filmed all these scenes and realized oh crap we didn't have Harry carry the invisibility cloak <laughs> <laughs> No I'm just kidding I don't know Yeah I I think that if they put Harry under the invisibility cloak again with a you know uh with a petrificus totalis you know frozen there also Again, it would be too much for the movie to the point where it's that now, why is Harry always getting, you know, why is Harry always hiding under here? You know, it would make char- Harry's character seem weaker than he is. Yeah. They already used and their think, one opportunity. Yeah, they the used it once, and I think by using it again, it would be an overuse of that. You know, again, the movie is not the book. Um, and they, they showcase all different sorts of magic. And I think by Dumbledore saying, you have to follow my orders. I want you to do this. I think it kind of shows Harry's yeah. character. You know, I, I, it shows Harry's character as, a, um, you know, following what Dumbledore asked. I agree. I, I, and I felt that that's the reason why they could get away with it was because they had that whole scene in, with Harry and Dumbledore where Dumbledore told him what Mikey just said. Yeah. Basically, you're you're gonna do what I tell you yeah, to do. Yeah, and-, and I think it was also symbolic how Harry was looking at up at Dumbledore, and Dumbledore was above him, and the same thing of how you're gonna listen to what I say. So, and I thought I thought it was kind of touching seeing Harry looking up at him, and Dumbledore looks down real quick. One last look before he falls five thousand. Yeah, before he becomes the a new, Tower a new of Terror ride at Universal yeah. Studios. <laughs> okay. uh... A couple more tweets. Ross Turner 32 says, Awesome movie. Not sure if it was the best. I thought it still deserved PG-13. Ollivander 110 said, Loved Half-Blood Prince. Wish we would have seen the diadem in uh, the Room of Requirement, but loved the changes, the Quidditch, and Slughorn and Lavender. Kathleen 91 says, I loved Half-Blood Prince, but I think there needed to be more about the Horcruxes. And we talked about that earlier. Uh, XMegan218 says, I was sad that they didn't include the I'm not scary, scared Harry, I'm with you line in the cave scene. That was a big one yeah, they cut out. Yeah, I was sad about that, too. Yeah. But where would they put that? I mean, it was kind of... Oh, they could have easily... Would, would they yeah, be, they could have easily just had Harry holding Dumbledore up saying, don't worry, sir, yeah. don't worry, you know, something like that. Yeah, exactly. We didn't really talk about Quidditch at Quidditch all, Quidditch yeah. Awesome. Quidditch, yeah. it was gorgeous. I cannot wait to see that in Blu-ray. Oh, my God, the special effects in this movie. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. There was a, yeah. there was a lot of suggestive... Um, Material at certain yes, times. Yes, there were. Uh, Quidditch yes, tryouts. Yes, there were. I mean, yeah, it, it's they're growing up. I mean, let 
that's that's how it would be in Hogwarts. <laughs> I mean, maybe Joe didn't write it, but you know it's happening there. <laughs> Cormac McClagan. Yeah. That guy, he's, he's a stud. <laughs> he's got a hit on the hotties he, like Hermione. He's an underwear model, from what I understand. <laughs> yes, he is. Yeah, what, what's his real name? Oh, Freddy, Freddy Stroma. Uh, if you guys like Cormac McClagan in the film, he... Or the guy who plays Cormac McClagan, uh, Freddie Stroma. Search for him on YouTube. He does this underwear dance for <laughs> God knows what, but yeah, just watch it. You'll you'll love him even more. Jen Bonstein says, loved it, but no big battle in the end? They just walk into the forest? WTF? I wish there was some battle. Were you guys disappointed yeah. there was no battle? No. I was. E- well, in... Well, didn't we? We kind of knew about this for a while, though. So, yeah. I mean, it's not like it was a big shock. Yeah, they said they didn't want it to be too repetitive with uh, maybe seven. So, Ikapu says, Ikapo, however you pronounce that, says, Love the mood of the film. Great cinematography. Some of the night scenes were beautiful. Great acting, especially from Rickman. Uh, Zoe Deer says, The film was sexed up and dumbed down version of the book, but funny. Uh, J.L. Mincy says, I thought it was great until Snape shushed Harry on the astronomy tower. But, I mean, what do you think the deal was with that, guys? I I think you know what it was. I think it's one of those things where you it also put in light that Harry trusts yeah. Snape. And he trusts what Snape was about to do. And then, obviously, in the end, Harry you know, says, WTF, yeah. what was that? And uh, runs after him. But I think yeah. it's one of those things where it's like he trusts Snape at that moment in time. Um, well, yeah. I mean, he never really in, ever thought that Snape was a bad guy, except in the first movie. But then it turned out he was he was actually trying to save him. So there is a little bit of trust there when it comes to him yeah. and, I guess, Dumbledore. Yeah, and it's one of those things where it just shows, you know, I think it's also meant to make the fact that Snape goes from that, you know, telling Harry to hang out, I'm going to take care of this to end up killing Dumbledore, I think it's supposed to be like a bigger shocker for Snape's character. Again, for the yeah. people that haven't read the books. Yeah. You know, it, it's a perspective thing you have to think about. And a final tweet today from Matt Odd. He says, I loved it. The Unbreakable Vow was brilliant and perfect. The story moved smoothly, and we saw the characters in a different light. I agree. The Unbreakable mm-hmm. Vow was very cool. It was very, very well done. Yeah. Bellatrix was spot on. Snape was spot on. Spot on. <laughs> Narcissa was spot on so wonderful so look that concludes our Half-Blood Prince discussion for today I'm sure there will be much more but this segment lasted a lot longer than we planned which is great Uh, we had some other segments planned for today's show but we will save them for sometime next week because we want to put out another episode um, uh, sometime next week to celebrate our four year anniversary which is on August Woo-hoo! 7th. Yeah. So we'll save the other stuff for next week, and we'll just wrap up the show today. All right. This uh, this doesn't happen very often. Well, where... I hope we'll wrap up the show today. Well. <laughs> I wasn't planning on recording for another three hours. Oh, Micah. Silly you. Okay, well, before we let you guys go, let's remind you all about our contact information. Uh, visit the MuggleCast website for all you need concerning the show. Uh, you can call in a voicemail, you can Skype in a voicemail, and you can also email in your feedback. These days, we really rely on your email um, to read on the show. As you saw today, we uh, read emails and we read tweets, too. Uh, speaking of tweets, uh, the MuggleCast Twitter is one of the highlights of the MuggleCast community. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter by going to twitter.com slash MuggleCast. You can also fan us on Facebook and subscribe to us uh, on iTunes, don't forget. 
And also vote for us once a month on Podcast Alley. I think now... Let me just look into something real quick. Can you go to... Yeah, you can now go to Facebook.com slash MuggleCast. you got a nice handy URL now to become a fan of the show. So uh, we have close to 7,000 fans that are on Facebook, and you can become a fan just by going to Facebook.com slash MuggleCast. Uh, we also have other community outlets. we got our MySpace, YouTube, Frapper, Last.fm, and the fan listing in the forums over at MuggleCastFan.net. So that's it. Oh, wait, wait, wait. It's wait, been wait. a lot of fun. What? We, we have a new P.O. Box number, too. Oh, we have a new P.O. Box number, two. Laura, give it to us. That's P.O. Box 1752, coming Georgia, 30028. You can send in handwritten mail, or you can send Laura treats, you know, like home-baked goods, whatever you want, to the wonderful town of coming Georgia. Mm. <laughs> 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 All right. Thanks again, everyone, for <laughs> wow. listening. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Laura Thompson. I'm Mike Tannenbaum. I'm Matt Britton. And I'm Mikey B. We'll see you next week for episode 178 to celebrate our four-year anniversary. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.